I would invite you to turn in your Bibles this evening to the book of Proverbs chapter 3. I'll read just the first 12 verses as we find a beautiful connection between the teaching of parents, the call to obedience from Yahweh, and then the reminder that when we do fall, it is the discipline of the Lord that we should receive with joy and not bristle under it, not detest it, but to delight in it, even as the one who brings discipline delights in us. Proverbs chapter 3, I'll begin reading in verse 1. And I'll read to verse 12. My son, do not forget my law, but let your heart keep my commands. For length of days and long life and peace they will add to you. Let not mercy and truth forsake you. Bind them around your neck, write them on the tablet of your heart. And so find favor and high esteem. In the sight of God and man, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he shall direct your paths. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. It will be health to your bones. I'm sorry, it will be health to your flesh and strength to your bones. Honor the Lord with your possessions and with the first fruits of all your increase, so your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord nor detest his correction. For whom the Lord loves, he corrects, just as a father, the son, in whom he delights. As far as the reading of God's word, let me pray now for the blessing of the preaching of it. Lord, as we come to your word tonight, that we would take them up, that they would be sweet and substantial to us, that we would long to know your will, and by your spirit, Lord, give us a longing, a desire to do it. And where we have erred and strayed from your ways like lost sheep, would you, as the good shepherd, correct us? And calls us to walk in paths of righteousness for your namesake. It is through the preaching of your word, Lord, that you bring forth this great call. To the lost, to believe. And to your children, to walk in a manner that is pleasing to you. And so even now we ask that you would instruct us in the way of wisdom. We ask these things then in your name. Amen. As we look at our text this evening, we continue to see a number of exhortations given from parents to a son. Now, these are certainly exhortations from a father and a mother, but the principal speaker is the father, and the principal recipient here is a son. That does not mean that the only ones from whom our sons learn wisdom is fathers, and the only ones who are to receive wisdom are boys. Wisdom is for all, men, women, boys and girls, young and old. But Solomon takes this tact in order to bring great personal personal approach to the expression and communication of wisdom itself. Now, as we look at our text this evening, we learn what wisdom is, or I want to talk about what wisdom is in greater detail And then I want to move through the first 12 verses, and what I want you to see as we move through them 
is that there are six pairings of an exhortation and then something is connected to it. What we might call the indicative, what you are to believe, the call, and then what the benefit of that is. I'm sorry I said indicative, I meant imperative. And what the benefit of obedience to that imperative is. So you'll look at, let's say, just the first three pairings. Verse 1 and 2 is a pair. My son, do not forget. So on and so on. And what it results in is found in verse 2. For length of days and long life. And then in 3 and 4, let not mercy and truth forsake you. And so find favor and high esteem in the sight of God a man. Do you see the pattern? 1 and 2, 3 and 4, 5 and 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11 and 12. These six pairings provide for us not only instruction from parents, but the commands of Yahweh, how we are to fear, to trust, and to honor him, and how we are here in this final pairing, verses 11 and 12, how we are to actually be okay with and long for the correction of God. And so I want to look at these two points tonight. The first, what is wisdom? And then the second, command and promise. Now, as it relates to what wisdom is, I would, I would recommend the commentary written by Waltke and Silva. It's a wonderful commentary. It may be the best commentary on the book of Proverbs out there for helping you get your arms around this enormous, it's a very large book. And it feels like it's made up of all these disparate parts, but there are themes that run throughout it. Now, this is what they say. In Proverbs, the book of Proverbs, wisdom mainly denotes the skill to navigate through the maze of life. It feels that way sometimes, doesn't it? The maze of life so that one conducts one's life to the greatest benefit of oneself and the community. It is the way of eternal life. And so wisdom is therefore incredibly, eminently practical. It benefits you and through you others. Now, of wisdom, we need to say that wisdom is something that is inspired. And though we find wisdom not only in the word of God, we also find it in nature, right? Go to the ant, you sluggard. We need to understand that the way that creation is organized is itself an element of God's creating and providential power and organization, And so when we say that we can look at the book of nature, we are not looking at the book of nature disconnected from the reality that God has made all things, that it reflects his glory, but that God also works in nature at all times. So we can go to the ant. Why does the the writer of Proverbs say go to the ant? Because there is something we can learn from this tiny creature who does her task without having a commander to tell her what to do. So children, what that means is this, as an application. When you get up in the morning knowing what you're supposed to do, and you have a commander, right, mom or dad, and they say, here are the list of things that you need to accomplish before school begins, and the principle is go to the ant, how are you then to work? You should do those tasks without mom or dad constantly monitoring your behavior. And anything less than that, according to the book of Proverbs, is what? It's disobedience and folly. Now, children, it's not just you that struggle with this. 
There are some mornings when I want someone else to start the coffee. And let me tell you this. Getting the coffee going in our house in the morning is actually a principal part of a functioning home prior to the hours of 7 a.m. And so the first thing I do when I get up, if I have not done it the night before, is clean out the filter, empty out whatever excess coffee there might be, and I start that process all over again. Now you may say, what has that got to do with anything? And I would say to you, just spend a day in the Fowler home, and you will understand how important that service is. Or the cooking of biscuits or sausage or bacon or eggs, all of those things. The way of wisdom is do what is required without having to be asked. Where does that directive come from? Is it the ant that invented that? No. The ant acts according to God's design. And so whether we see it in nature or we receive it directly from the word of God, it comes from him. It is inspired by him. But though it is inspired by him, oftentimes in our lives, the message of wisdom, the principles of wisdom, the practicalities of wisdom are taught, evidenced, and communicated to us through means, like parents or ants. Right? And not only that, but throughout the book of wisdom, as we look at what wisdom is, wisdom is also personified. And the reason why Solomon personifies wisdom oftentimes as a woman, at times a loud woman, not a brash woman, but a woman who, as we saw in chapter 2, pleads loudly. She's also a hospitable woman, a tender and generous woman, is so that the young man might see her beauty, her dignity and worth, and go, whoa, that is the way I should walk. The writer wants wisdom to be attractive to the young man. It brings emphasis and clarity. And so wisdom is meant to be attractive to the son, and she serves as a foil to Lady Folly. Now, these two women are not actual women. In fact, they can be men, too. A man can be wise or foolish. A woman can be wise or foolish. The point that the writer of Proverbs often makes is not two in-real-life women, but he is setting Lady Folly and Lady Wisdom against one another so that the son might be able to choose more aright which path he wishes to walk. And not only that, but it accommodates the primary way in which we all learn best. We follow those people who we think offer what is best. It is what we call incarnational or imitational instruction. In fact, just look at young men. Let's say they have an interest in basketball. And when they have an interest in basketball, the kinds of other men they talk about are those who are at the top of the game. They talk about Jordan, Magic Johnson, LeBron. And there are times even where you see a young man out on the court and the way in which he moves, he shoots a turnaround jumper, whatever he does, he emulates the actions of those whom he admires most. We cannot get away from this. 
Parents, you see this all the time with your children, good or bad. They adopt both your good and bad qualities, <laughs> which sometimes makes going out in public a little bit intimidating. What if my kids say the thing they heard me say not so long ago? They are impressionable. And in the same way the son is impressionable, the father wishes to make the best impression. And so he says, look at her beauty. And even as we live, we begin to see, even in the lives of those around us, a lady folly, a lady wisdom, a man folly, a man wisdom. All for this purpose, to love wisdom, to desire it. And not only that, but as we look at wisdom, look at verse 1 here. My son, do not forget my law. Do not let your heart keep my commands. Now, this law and these commands did not originate with the father just like they do not originate with the aunt. They are the father's because they have been given to him by God. Parents, teachers, those who are our superiors have been given wisdom or ought to receive the wisdom of God in order to communicate, to minister, to steward it over the lives of those with whom they have or over whom they have authority. This is why, parents, we ought to search for wisdom even more than our children do so that we might be able to live and communicate wisely, shrewdly, as innocent as doves but cunning as serpents. And so the parent, the teacher, the ruler of wisdom has the more difficult task, does he or she not, to make wisdom beautiful. Because the fact of the matter is this. We always follow the thing we think to be the chief beauty. In fact, this is why Eve ate the fruit in the first place. She did not eat it because she thought it was wretched. She ate it because it was a delight to her eyes. It was a wicked delight, to be sure. It was a perverse delight. But she ate because she delighted. We must learn to delight in the things that God calls true, good, and beautiful. And for this reason, when the father says, children, listen to me, he is not saying, I am God. He says what Paul says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. And so the laws and commands of the father are, they, are there because he has received them from God. And this is because, ultimately, all wisdom and instruction is given not by direct divine revelation. It is given through mediating preaching, teaching, the reading of God's word once laid down. All of this comes to us through means. And then let me say one last thing as it relates to the nature of Proverbs as you receive them. So a question is often put when we read the Proverbs, how exhaustive and extensive are the promises found within it? And this is a challenge at times. And so I want to say four principles as it relates to properly interpreting and understanding the Proverbs. We'll get to the text and the heart of the text in just a moment. Number one, Proverbs 
as they are written, are validated by the experience of the lives of all people. Our lives just prove how true they are. They are, in fact, related to the moral law of God. So we read, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is older, he will not depart from it. How is that related to the law of God? Well, it looks just like the fifth commandment, doesn't it? Children, honor your father and mother, and your long will, therefore your days will be long in the land which the Lord your God is giving you. There is a promise attached to the command. Not only that, but the Proverbs, here's a fancy word, have an epigram- I'm sorry, epigrammatic nature. That means they express truth, but not the whole truth. And for the whole truth, then, we turn to other sections of Scripture which provide for us a full-orb expression of God's righteous rule on earth. That is, when we read the Proverbs, we should also turn to the book of Ecclesiastes and see them as pairs. Thirdly, they serve as instruction to the young, the simple, the immature, that they might grow in wisdom, stature, and favor with God and man. You don't have to be old to be mature and there are many among us who are immature who are old what wisdom does is it brings godly maturity at any age obviously our hope is that you begin young and as you get older you grow in christian godly maturity not only that but there is a blessing given to wise men that comes at the resurrection We must consider the seen and unseen, the righteous decrees of God and the freedom that God gives to wicked men as a means of storing up wrath for those who live in rebellion to the Lord. So we look at the book of Proverbs and it says, the wicked perish. But then there are times also in the book of Proverbs where we see the wicked prosper. What we must do is not have a worm's eye view, as Waltke and Silva say. We must have a bird's eye view. This is what Asaph speaks of in the Psalter. When he sees the thriving wicked and he goes, Lord, what's happening? How long will this injustice continue? And then he goes into the sanctuary of God and it says, I discern their true end. In light of what? The coming messianic kingdom. You must look beyond the immediate and leave to the Lord the results which he has promised. Bird's eye view. Not a worm's eye view. What is a worm's eye view, kids? From the dirt. (laughs) It's about as limited as it gets. So we turn to the scriptures. All right. A little bit of review on what the Proverbs are. Let's look at the text. Here in verses 1 through 12, we find a covenant structure that undergirds all these exhortations and promises. Now, when I say covenant structure, I want us to be aware of the way in which the covenant that God entered into man with, the form that it takes. When you have a greater being making a covenant with lesser beings, what you have is a contract, a sovereign administration, a promise that is bound and pledged in blood. And the greater promises things to the lesser. The lesser promises things to the greater. And both of them establish terms. And if those terms are not met, then there are punishments. Now, within the covenant of grace and the larger structure of it, what we find 
is in its administration, the way in which it's carried out, the punishment that the lesser deserves, you and me, within this covenant of grace, the superior, the greater, takes upon himself. You and I sin, our sins are laid upon Jesus Christ. But at the same time, within that covenant structure, there are real covenant blessings and there are real covenant cursings that we can experience either through obedience or disobedience. There are moral laws by which the universe is governed and they cannot be escaped in the same way that there are physical laws that God upholds in this universe that you cannot escape. So kids, if you were to walk out, get out that window, where would you end up? Right on the ground. Fall flat. You would not begin to float off. You would hit. Why? What do we call that universal physical law? Gravity. In the same way, if you dishonor your parents, if you are reckless with your life in rebellion, your life will be shortened. You don't have to be a Christian for that to be true. You just have to live in God's world. Now, what we endeavor to do is invent other laws to try to create a different kind of moral universe where we reign supreme. And we say, you know what? If I dishonor my father, I don't want to be punished. I wish to be rewarded. And that may happen for a short period of time. You may have friends that go along with you. But in the end, what happens? You will be judged. You will receive cursing. And so this covenant structure undergirds what we see. Now, in verses 1 and 2 and 3 and 4, two pairs, the father encourages the son to keep his parents' instruction. Look at 1 and 2. My son, do not forget my law, but let your heart keep my commands. What is he saying? Kids, I want you to listen to this. Forgetting is no excuse for disobedience. I wish there were more children here. Forgetting is no excuse for disobedience. I forgot. That is in itself sinful. It is folly. It is to reject wisdom. My son, do not forget my law, but let not your heart keep my commandments. Where does the act of forgetfulness take place? It is not in the mind. It is where? It is in the heart. To remember expresses what? It expresses a longing to do what the Father has asked. And so if you do not forget, if you keep my commands in your heart, you will live a long, peaceful life. For length of days and long life and peace they will add to you. This is the fifth commandment. If you listen, if you keep If you allow these things to be preserved in your heart, if you hold to them, then shalom, the shalom of God, will be born out in your life. Now, this is obviously true for the first 18 years of my life. When I disobeyed in my parents' house, there was disruption. And when I was taught how to obey, at times through what we call corporal punishment... I was corrected so that peace might continue. It doesn't change once you leave your parents' house. It certainly holds true when you start your own household. 
And either the parents disobey or your own kids disobey. If we reject the law of God, there is no hope for real peace. There is no hope for it. Not a kind of real, true, saving peace. (laughs) And as some might say, let the record show, obedience to God brings true shalom, peace, comfort. And then in verses 3 and 4, there is another exhortation. Let not mercy and truth forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. The Father here is saying what? Be a truth teller. And not only a truth teller, but be someone who delights in mercy. Compared to who? Or to what? Well, vengeance, justice, wrath. A kind of response to others that does not take into heart the forgiveness that you have received by God or from God. In fact, elsewhere we are told in the Gospels, if you do not forgive, your sins will not be forgiven. A lack of forgiveness and mercy is evidence of what kind of heart? A godless heart. A Christless heart. A heart that has not received mercy. And so, the Father says, if you are one who has truth within you that shows mercy, and what truth is that? Well, not just all truth, but the truth of the way in which God deals with us, If you do this, you will find favor and high esteem in the sight of God and man. How do you win friends and influence people? You forgive them their faults. And I don't mean cheap forgiveness. I don't mean tolerance, as is often begged in our day. We don't put up with sin. We endeavor to cover it with the blood of Christ Jesus. And that is how we will be reconciled to one another. Truth and mercy. Because what happens if we all know the truth of each other? What is actually required to have relationships? A huge heaping of mercy. In fact, this is one of the things you learn when you get married. That once your wife figures out the truth about you, if it were not for her mercy, (laughs) you would have a very unhappy marriage indeed and vice versa. And so it is when we are in our homes And as we grow closer to one another, the longer you are in covenant fellowship with the members of Reformation OPC and you learn the truth, the more mercy is necessary. Heaping tablespoons of mercy. And when you do that, God in men will esteem you because you'll look more and more like the Creator and Redeemer. All right, five and six. Here we turn to the trust, fear, and honor of Yahweh. Here's the Father speaking of Yahweh. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. There's the exhortation. And if you do that, well, and then there's another part. In all your ways acknowledge him. This is what will happen. He will be a companion with you along the way. He will direct your paths. And the direction of a path here is not the bird's eye view. It's what? He will be a guide. He will show you the way to go. And that way to go will not be, all right, go right at the intersection down there. I'm watching. No, that's the deistic way of thinking of providence or no providence. It's what? 
It is a shepherd who directs the sheep. When we trust in the Lord, when we do not endeavor to devise the way in which we ought to go, we do not rely on our own self-wrought wisdom, but the wisdom that comes from God's word, from his inspiration, God will be a companion to us. He will show us the way to go. Do not rely and boast on your own achievements or your own wisdom in terms of this is what I'm going to do, this is how I'm going to do it, but rather in all things, trust in the Lord. Do not lean on your own not wise kind of wisdom, right? The wisdom of God is folly to men. The folly of men, folly of God is the wisdom of God. I'm getting it backwards, I'm sorry. At times it is inverted. We are to trust in the Lord and not ourselves or the teachings of mere men. And when we do this, when we obey the Lord, he will walk with us. And then verse 7 and 8. Here we are instructed in the fear of the Lord. Do not be wise in your own eyes. It's a similar kind of exhortation. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. The cleverness of man here is set up against the wisdom and righteousness of God. And where has the cleverness of men gotten us? Where does it always get us? It actually leads us down the path of evil or towards evil. And in ever to walk away from, to depart from evil, we are not called to be clever. We are called to be disciples, to walk after the Lord, to fear him, to receive from him wisdom and instruction. That is how we depart from evil. This is what Joseph did. This is what Christ did when he was tempted in the wilderness by Satan. This is what Adam and his wife failed to do. They thought themselves to be wise in their own eyes. And what happens? You will experience health and strength. And not just a kind of psychosomatic health. A physical, spiritual, and yes, psychological health. Obedience is of great benefit. When you live in the world that God has made and you do so faithfully, it brings healing not only to your soul but to your bones. All right. Now, verses 9 and 10. Here... The son is exhorted to honor the Lord with your possessions and with the first fruits of all your increase. Here, he's told, tithe joyfully. Give to the Lord. Don't hold back. What portion of it? The very first part of it. If you've got to write that check to the church first, write the check to the church first. Give to him. If it's not a tithe, a check to the church, maybe it's helping one of your brothers or sisters in Christ. Giving out of the abundance of that God has given you. And when do you feel most abundant? Right when you get paid. (laughs) Right when the harvest comes in. Start at that moment. Don't let that moment pass. And here is the irony. When you give, what does the Lord say? When you honor the Lord with your possessions, your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. Honor the Lord with your stuff. 
and bring it quickly. Bring it cheerfully. And when you do, the Father says, God will give you more than you had to begin with. How is that possible? Because God is the one who turned the loaves and fishes into a meal fit for 3,000. He can do it. What Walkie and Silva says is this, unless the son drenches his offering with oil of love, trust, and devotion, Yahweh cares nothing for it, as Cain learned. Do not be stingy towards the Lord. But when you are lavish, God will not be outdone in giving. He will not let that happen. Isn't that beautiful? The church grows rich when the saints live in poverty of spirit. And in this way, the Proverbs do not always appear to have common sense to them, do they? We're to think in ways that often appear to the world paradoxically. How can I have more when I give away? Well, God is the one who sees and blesses. And then lastly, this couplet, verse 11 and 12, the son is rightly assumed by the father to one day make a mistake. The son will not always act in wisdom. There will come a time. I don't think the father is being pessimistic. I think the father is being realistic. And maybe he's responding to a problem that he's already seen. What does he see? What does he know will happen? One day the son will act foolishly. He will be sinful. And so the father says concerning Yahweh, my son, do not despise the chastening of Yahweh nor detest his correction. For whom the Lord loves, he corrects, just as the Father, the Son, in whom he delights. Do not reject the discipline of the Lord, for by it the Lord teaches, restores, corrects, shows us what to hate, how to love what is good. As one pastor told me years ago as he was teaching a series on parenting, Our children must be run through the gauntlet of the suffering of their sins in this life so that they will learn to hate their sins, fear the Lord so that they will not be worthless and one day experience not the temporary judgment of God but the eternal wrath of God. That's what we are trying to save them from. The hell of cosmic eternal rebellion. And so what we can say concerning the discipline of God is that it is itself a severe mercy, for it is meant to restore and not to crush. Dear saints, it is a guidebook for life. And the very clear exhortation in light of all of these things is what? You would be a fool not to listen, a fool to forget A fool when you fall down to rise up again under the discipline of God. In fact, elsewhere in Proverbs chapter 24, verse 16, we read, For a righteous man may fall seven times and rise again, but the wicked shall fall by calamity. What is God actually teaching us how to do? To live in a world that is not always easy but at times is fraught with great danger and despair, confusion. To walk in his wisdom, to love what he loves, to trust, honor, and fear. Let us pray.